Hello, friends, and welcome to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon. With me here shortly will be Matt Drury, and we will be tackling a listener-submitted question today that is about postseason trail cameras. Uh, you know, coming up here, a lot of us will be wrapping up our 2017 hunting seasons, and, you know, it's kind of crazy to believe, um, given how fast I feel like this season went, but the postseason is just about upon us. So we'll be talking about some different things to consider when it comes to how to use your trail cameras after the season, how long you might want to keep them up, and a whole bunch more in addition to that. So without further ado, I will kick it over to our previously recorded interview. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. With me, as always, uh, my trusty partner and co-host, Matt Drury. How's it going today, my friend? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Doing well. We're, uh, as we were just talking about before we started recording, kind of in the hustle and bustle of the holidays. That's right. Uh, so good stuff, but uh, kind of be busy too, which, you know, I guess that's the story of our whole hunting season, right? We're usually flying around and Try. trying to pack and work around hunting or maybe the other way. I don't know which way it is sometimes. <laughs> But, both uh, yeah. like job so it's yeah. Yeah. on one but yeah. it's the weird part like the hunting side outside of in our organization outside of mark terry and taylor the hunting side is like the secondary thing that i get to do so it's the business side you try there's year and stuff you got to get you know finalized and i know you're probably in the same boat sponsors and and all that kind of stuff plus getting ready for the trade shows mm-hmm. you know we're kind of getting all of our meetings lined up and you know, we hit it pretty hard, especially at ATA. You know, we have ATA, which is in Indy this year, SHOT Show in Vegas as always. And then we go to NWTF's national convention in February down in Nashville. But ATA is just like crazy, crazy yeah. busy for us. And I'm sure you're in the same boat. Yeah, it's it's chaos. <laughs> it's This part of the season is probably my least favorite part when you have to deal with all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Got to be a got to be a business person again and not just a yuppie sitting in a tree. So Yeah, pretty much drag Mark and Terry to the trade shows. Uh-huh. Once we get there, I drag them from meeting to meeting. <laughs> so. I've seen that literally happen too, so I know you're telling the truth. <laughs> uh, it's all good, you know, finishing some year and stuff. We're going to have a potluck here at the studio on Friday, and uh, the guys here are excited. Uh, we're doing. We're going to actually – Trevor uh, Trevor Walker, he's, he's my camera guy and one of our editors. He does a lot of uh, – he's a hunter too, and he smokes a lot of his own meats and all that stuff. So he's going to take – Two, two of the roasts from my elk, two roasts from my elk, and smoke those, get up early that morning and smoke them and bring them in. And I'm making elk, um, um, you know, ground up elk uh, burger, putting it in chili. And then nice. we'll have guys doing sliders and uh, chicken nachos and all kinds of good stuff. So, and yeah, maybe awesome. a drink or two. <laughs> Just one or two. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So what about uh what about from a hunting standpoint? Have anything new on that side for you? Anything coming up on that front? Well, not, I haven't been out myself since we talked last. Um just honestly because I have been focused on trying to catch up on all the stuff I should have been doing, you know, in November that mm-hmm. I was not completely doing. So trying to catch up, get the year and stuff done. But Trevor actually went up and checked uh, my cameras for me on Friday. And um, he was going up to try to 
uh, kill a doe while he was up there with his bow. And he checked cameras. We still don't have much on the lease um, showing up buck-wise. But he sat there over some standing beans Friday afternoon. And we had a deer that I have several pictures of and some history with last year. He's five and a half. Last year, he had this abscess on his kind of like lower brisket you know, I mean, really, really big, probably the size of, um, not quite a soccer ball, but I mean, it was a big abscess. Wow. And, um, this year, that's what stuck out to me last year. That's the only reason I remember him, honestly, because rack wise, headgear wise, there isn't a lot there, but this year he showed back up and he stood out to me from a frame standpoint. He's just tall. We call him tall boy, but you know, he might score in the twenties, maybe touch 30. Um, you know, he's an eight pointer, uh, doesn't have really much rack wise, but he, he stands out from a kind of height of rack and he showed up at four o'clock, like four Oh eight. He was the first deer on the field at like 80 yards the other night. Um, you know, so on those beans. So, um, Trevor ended up not taking a doe that night. He went back up there and killed one that the following evening on kind of the lower part of the farm on, on, um, we, we, he was sitting clover that night and it was a warm night or whatever and got a doe. But anyways, the plan is, um, Missouri's muzzleloader season starts on Saturday and, you know, at Christmas, it's like a 10 day season, but with Christmas, you know, and all the things that we have to do, I might actually be able to hunt two days, maybe three. So I'm going to try to like, we have a major cold front coming through here, uh, this weekend and Friday, I think it's hits Friday. So I think Saturday I'm going to try to get out there and, you know, sit those beans. We got a good wind direction, um, we sat the spot, we set it up. I paid the farmer to leave. Maybe there's maybe two, three acres of beans there. And he, we did it on the far end of my farm because in years past, we would do it in front of this box blind that we had and the deer would never get there in time because it was just too far into the property. They would never, we could always see them. And in the late season, this big field and then the neighbor's field would suck in 30 or 40 deer mostly does but uh, you know two maybe two or three bucks and um they would just never make it to us in time whether i had standing corn or beans or whatever they just uh -huh. never make it to us in time well this year muddy they have this new prototype blind that they're um i believe coming out with in 2018 they wanted mark to test it he didn't have a um a spot open for it and dad had his accident. So they ended up sending it to me and you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, raise your hand. <laughs> uh, so we set it up on this, on these beans, the way the farmer left them, it's kind of screwy. It's like a triangle. I wish it would have been more of a, a square rectangular, you know, set of two acres that were left, but it's kind of in this triangle design. So we set the blind up, um, kind of, perfect for realistically that if the deer come out you know once they cross the fence and if they come another 10 20 yards they're they're on our side and 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 they're early enough where i think you know the last half hour maybe 45 minutes we'll have plenty of time to try to get a shot you got to fool a lot of does noses to get to that point but i think if we if we hunt smart on the right wind i think if he shows up we actually have a pretty good uh, chance at him. So, you know, I, I don't really care about the score, obviously, as every deer I've ever shot is probably about 130 inches, but I really don't care. He's mature. Yeah. Uh, and to me at this point, it's about proving, you know, that I can, that I can do it. I've worked so hard, Trevor and I've worked so hard and Aaron Bennett and the guys in the past. 
and we're just not being successful on this place. And it's, it's not because we don't have the right setup or that we're not hunting it the right way. It's just like the way the chips have fallen kind of thing. We talked about that last week. And so I, I kind of have it up, you know, under my skin that I, I I'm after, <laughs> you know, a good management buck to, to, you know, try to take off that place. And, and if I can get another shot, you know, I obviously I have a doe tag too, that I'll try to kill a doe while I'm there as well. If, especially if I, get lucky and shoot a buck, you know, and, and we're still out there and have another chance. I'll, yeah. I'll try to kill a doe and, you know, we got some good, uh, share the harvest programs and all that good stuff. So I'll make sure and donate the meat and, and all that good stuff. Cause I'm definitely covered on, on meat for the year, but we, we got so many deer there, mostly does. We need to, we need to do a little management, honestly. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a heck of an accomplishment to kill a five-year-old out there. I think that'd be awesome. So I'm excited to see how it goes. Keep me posted. I, uh, <laughs> asked you'll be like what happened i'm like nothing <laughs> that's the way it seems to go <laughs> yeah it's got to change eventually yeah how'd ohio go for you uh you know as usual um was there for three days didn't see much shot uh, one night i saw one year and a half old buck the second night i saw a bunch of deer including um six or seven bucks but they're all young ones year year old or two year olds um and then the next day i didn't see anything at all so pretty slow kind of warm um is what it is. So I'm back home and, and no sight of Holyfield, no pictures, no nothing. Um, so I'm, I'm about to switch gears probably in the next few days and start focusing on killing some does on that property. Just, uh, similar to what you said, this property, um, specifically just has a lot of does. It really needs to be, um, kind of managed on that front. So I've been pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back, trying to kill this buck. But uh, at some point, I just have to kind of say, you know what, it's time to be a manager now and, and not be so focused on trying to kill this one deer if he's even still out there. I don't even know if he is. Um, so, yeah, I think the final like 10 days of the season are going to be trying to put some meat in the freezer and uh, make a dent in the doe population. So that's yeah. that's basically all I've got, all, all the news on my front. <laughs> We're in the same boat, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I'm excited to to, to hopefully – those is the boat sinking, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is it is kind of fun, though, once you start shifting your focus to just targeting does. You know, all of a sudden it becomes a very target-rich environment, and uh, that's a fun, different part of the season, too. So I am excited for that. And then it will be on to next year and new hopes and dreams and possibilities and all sorts of optimism again. So Start all over again. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. But yeah. Uh, Speaking of next season and postseason, we have a we have a question of the day today from a listener that's related to that and how trail cameras kind of fit into some postseason thoughts. So I was thinking this would be a good one for us to tackle today. And if you're ready, I say we should tackle that question of the day. Let's do it. Hey, this is Jason from Somerset, Ohio, and I've got a question concerning running trail cameras on small tracts of land in the off season. I'm talking between five and twenty acre lands. And especially if it's, you know, in areas that's surrounded by other small pieces of land. And the reason why that's quite, why that's relevant is, uh, you know, there's smaller tracts of land are going to have more human intrusion in the off season than say 500 acre tract of land that, you know, people are only in there when they're hunting. Um, I'd like to know if it's better to leave those cameras up in the off season, you know, just to let the deer continue to be used to them or, if there's benefit to pulling them out and then putting them back up in, uh, you know, August, September, things like that, and let them run through, uh, through the deer season. Thanks for your time, and I'll look forward to the answer. 
All right, Matt, what do you think? I, you know, I think he's got a valid, it's a valid question. I, I, the thought process I would have, if it's that small of a piece, I'd be a little worried, not knowing, you know, what his neighbors are like or what the area is like. I'd be a little worried about leaving a camera on 15 or 20 acres, uh, all year personally. Um, so I, I think I would pull him. Um, cause I don't think honestly, it's going to hurt that much if you come back in in July, you know, and, and you set a camera back up, uh, especially say for instance, say you're in a state where it's legal to, you know, put some feed or supplement feed or whatever down in the summer months, you know, you put that out. And if you go in there to put your camera on it, those deer don't care. They'll be on top of it no matter what. Now, if it's a state like Illinois or somewhere where you can't do that, um, I would just be careful about what, what time of day and when I would go back in there to put the camera back up. And then, um, like you said, just kind of leave it go, uh, and, and tell he needs to go in and check it every once in a while, but 15 or 20 acres, you definitely could do a lot of damage if you're not smart about your access or smart about the timing, wind direction, when you go in there to, to go check the camera. Um, but I, I would pull them personally. That's what I would do. And you were saying part, uh, I think what you're saying there a second ago is you were worried about like theft too, as, as a yeah, possibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know, heck, I, on my lease, I had two cameras stolen, you know, and then, and after that I was very careful as to where I put them. Yeah. And then if I did put them down kind of closer to where, you know, the access points were, I had them in lock boxes and stuff like that just cause you know, I, I, you know, I know it could happen again at any time, but I was trying to make it less easy for some somebody to steal it. And in, in my opinion, I think it was somebody in their shed poaching um, and, and and then ended up getting caught on camera. And he's like, all right, I'm just taking the camera. Yeah, I've, I've had that happen, too. And I, I would say um, a couple things um, I definitely can can. Uh, relate to your concern there from a theft standpoint and that does you know could be more likely when you've got small properties and a bunch more people likely around on the edges you know yeah. um so to your point i think if you're gonna keep them out and if you you know sometimes you know an area and you know your neighbors and you know that's not a concern well okay men don't worry about it but if you don't know the area as well or you don't know what might be happening in the off season to your point i think lock it up um keep it as secure as you possibly can maybe don't have it right out in the wide open um, but I personally, even on my small properties, um, I like to run them in the postseason for at least a little while for two reasons. Um, number one, I really want to have cameras out there running for at least a few weeks after the season just to find out what bucks survived the hunting season. I really want to know what deer are still alive going into the new year, which deer I might be, you know, seeing again the following season. That just helps to kind of start making that plan for the new year. It kind of helps you as you plan on where should I focus my scouting? What should I be thinking about? You know, if you know that Buck A survived and you happen to have a bunch of intel up from him the previous year, now all of a sudden you can start thinking through, you know, and a lot of times what I like to do in February or March is think about all those things, plan strategies, I already start daydreaming about where I want new stands, how I should do things different, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so having cameras running in the postseason, at least for that maybe month or something after the year, um, is nice to get that. And then secondly, the other thing I really like to keep cameras running in the postseason for in the early postseason is shed scouting. So I shed hunt all the properties I can hunt as much as possible. And one of the things that I would 
I recommend keeping in mind is that you don't want to get in there and shed hunt too early. You don't want to pressure these deer off your farm because you're going in there every few days to look for sheds um, when they may not even be shedding or even close to shedding their antlers yet. So if you've got, let's say, a couple bucks that live on your little property, if you stay out of there completely um, and wait until maybe mid-March or something when it's it's very likely they will have dropped their antlers by then, you know, at that point there's a, there's a good chance that those deer, if they've been sticking close to your property, that they'll drop their antlers on your property or nearby, let's say. But if you go in there every week and walk all over all the bedding cover, if you spook those deer out there every few days or every week, then it's, you know, it's quite possible they're going to relocate to your neighbor or somewhere else or whatever it might be, and then you never have a chance to find those antlers at all. So I try to relocate for good too honestly that that too um so i like to try to time my shed hunting based on some scouting so i take you know historical data just based off what we've seen in the past and then also i'll try to keep cameras out and monitor the deer and not start really shed hunting until the majority of bucks have shed their antlers um so that can just help you time because you want to make sure you don't go too early for the reasons i just described but at the same time you don't want to go too late because you could have antlers getting chewed up by squirrels and other rodents, um, or you could get, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the potential for shed poachers, people to come walk your property and, and steal those antlers. So it's you got to find that sweet spot where it's not too early, not too late. Um, and I think having some cameras out can help you do that. Um, but I think to your point, keep them secure. And then you also mentioned, and I 100% agree, you got to be careful still about going in to check those cameras. Uh, because again, you don't want to blow these deer off your property, make them relocate, and that could be, you know, that could even impact your hunting season the next year. It could impact your shed hunting this year, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, um, try not to go in, you know, be almost as careful as you are during the hunting season, even in the postseason. So go in there at midday, you know, take a truck or an ATV or something like that if you can. Don't go busting through bedding areas. Don't go blowing your wind into bedding areas. All those kind of basic things that we try to do in September and October and November. If you can apply that same caution to the off season, that's only going to help you. So that's kind of my two cents. I, I do usually pull my cameras after shed season. Um, you know, once it gets to mid March, I usually do pull them and keep them in the house for a couple months, and then I start running them again in like July. Um, I know some people that keep the cameras out all year round. I just I just don't simply be. I don't really have a good reason for why. I just pull them in for a while, kind of get them cleaned up, rebatteried, ready to go again, and then I approach things you know, for the new year after that. Um, Same here. I mean, I'll, I'll go through, like you said, I'll wait until shed season. And the other reason I do that, because in Missouri, you can, at least in the county I'm in, you can still supplemental feed uh, as of today. They might change that tomorrow. <laughs> but I'll, like this year, I did it a little bit last year and the year, a little bit the year before where like February or March, I'll, I put out some analogics. But this year, I think I'm actually going to start a feeding program, um, you know, come end of January when I get back from the trade shows and, and put a feeder up and get those deer kind of sucked back down into the property. Um, you know, and, and then, cause I don't really find a lot of sheds during shed season, um, you know, a handful and it's hard to find and well, they're hard to find regardless, but it, it, it's just, what I do find, it's usually like two-year-olds or three-year-olds at the max. Very rarely do we find a good, good shed. And I just don't think they live on me. I think I, I think I have a ton of does living on us and not 
many bucks at all unless they're young. So my thought process this year is, okay, instead of starting the feeding program in July when it's really too late for antler development anyways for the most part, why not try it when they say that that, you know, they say as soon as they drop, they're already starting, you know, to develop the for the following year so or for the following season. So my thought process this year is to try to the program right out of the gate and see, you know, see how we do there, you know, and I'm, I, I don't know. It's, it's one thing to say that, but, but it gets so crazy during that time of year. I, I'll have to go out and execute the plan. Uh, but that's what I'm thinking about doing this year. Cause I, for a few reasons, try to help antler growth development for 2018 you know, when they first start and when it's the most important, because I, I hear a lot of times that March, you know, March, April, May is when it's super important. Uh, so to try to try to help affect that and then to try to suck some deer back into the place some bucks back into the place, you know, for, you know, for shed hunting purposes. So we'll see. I But that's the plan anyways. But I'll leave my cameras up through that period. Mm hmm. Yeah, and to your point that, you know, late winter time period is one of the greatest stress periods for deer in general with from a nutrition standpoint. There's just so little left over at that point that, you know, if you have a, a, a nutrition, you know, system that you can put in place, that can be helpful. And yeah. then to another, back to the shed hunting, scouting thing I was mentioning earlier, back to going in to do postseason work and different things, One, you know, the postseason is a great time to scout. It's a great time to do that kind of stuff. Of course, it's a great time to shed hunt. But it also is, you do need to be careful, I think, especially if you're in, a pl- in an area where you've had a really, really tough winter. You know, that is also the time when deer are the most susceptible to to starvation and other stresses from just dealing with that long, hard winter. So you want to avoid causing them to use unnecessary energy as much as possible too. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of want to think about those things. Think about, you know, trying to, um, time your intrusions to be as minimal as possible. If you're going to go and do some shed hunting and scouting, maybe say, okay, I'm going to do it on these two days and then I'm going to leave them alone for the next, you know, two, three weeks or whatever, simply because sometimes when you have a tough enough winter or a situation where there's so little food for whatever reason, these deer can really struggle in February, March, even into April, um, depending on where you're at. So that's just something to keep in the back of your mind too. Um, as you're thinking through all your different postseason plans, um, of course, there's lots to do in the postseason, but sometimes thinking about how can I balance it a little bit to just make sure I'm not making things tougher on the deer, that's something to think about. Absolutely. So, I don't know, do you have any other thoughts on postseason trout camera use? I feel like, you know, kind of through this conversation, we've touched on a bunch of the things that I that I wanted to. Um, anything yeah, else? I think it depends on your property, like you said. Like, I know Terry will leave his cameras up year-round for the most part. And he likes to keep kind of a herd inventory. Mark, he has a lot of cameras, so he'll pull them, uh, you know, he'll pull them in, in the winter and put them back out like July. Once, once they, you know, he, the deer are kind of starting to be what they're going to be. Um, so it's just, just kind of a different philosophy. But, um, I mean, it, it's really probably dependent on your property and your neighbors and, you know, kind of what you can trust, <laughs> Because I, I just don't trust it, frankly. More than anything, I just don't trust it. Yeah. It's a bummer that that has to be the case, but in, in many times it is. Yeah. So I, 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 did I ever tell you my uh, Cabela's trail camera story? Huh. I'll give the very, very short version of it because people have heard it, I'm sure, on some of my other past podcasts. But I had a camera stolen off a small property I was hunting. I had etched my name and phone number in the back of it, though. 
um, <laughs> just like carved it into the plastic. Well, so it got stolen. I was really upset. And maybe like a month later, I get a phone call from somebody from the local Cabela store asking me what my name was. I'm like, well, my name's Mark Kenyon. I'm like, all right, Mark, well, we've got your trail camera. Um, someone, the person that stole it from me, brought it back to Cabela's and returned it and got money from it. And then they didn't notice, they didn't see the etching on it or anything until like the next week or some period down the line. They saw, oh, this is somebody else's camera that was probably stolen. And so, yeah, they called me and then I ended up getting it back. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, that's, people are, <laughs> got to have a big set on you to go. <laughs> In the return of trail camera that you stole. I know. And that's pretty ballsy, honestly. <laughs> it, it was, yeah. But I guess it worked out okay for me. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good customer service. Yeah, that was cool. You know, they definitely didn't need to do that, so that was nice. Smart of you to do that, though, because otherwise they wouldn't know. You know, I mean, that's smart. I would have never thought to etch my number into the mm-hmm. camera, but that's a good thinking. It was, uh, it was a lesson learned from my grandpa. He used to carve his name into like everything he owned out to everything from like chairs to coolers to a pair of gloves to everything <laughs> that name smart. on everything <laughs> that's smart there's yeah. no mistake <laughs> yep. so so there you go i think that's that's a good way to end off our podcast on postseason trial cameras carve your name in that son of a gun and yeah. uh and lock it up if you need to Tip of the day. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I think uh, I think that's everything for me, Matt. So, should we should we shut this down? Yeah, let's do it. I, I just remind everybody that we probably will not have a podcast up over Chris, Christmas break, um, and then that first week in January, I think we probably would be able to do it. Uh, but then there's like the ATA show, mm-hmm. and then there, I think. There's nothing for a week and then shot show after that. So it may be a little sporadic. We'll try to do our best and maybe pre-record something if we need to. But we talked about actually potentially trying to do something at ATA. It's so hectic. I don't know if we'll be able to, but we did, we did mention trying to potentially do that. So just bear with us through the next couple of weeks and uh, we'll try to keep pumping out some good content. Yeah. And until next time to everyone have a, a very Merry Christmas, great holiday season, eat lots of venison hopefully maybe put down a late season deer too um that's what i'm gonna try to do and uh, i guess i will i will leave with our final usual reminders for me simply being to subscribe on itunes or google play or stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and then you can send in a question for future episodes by going to wired to hunt.com slash 100 percent wild As always, you can watch this version of the podcast over at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel Uh, while you're there. Please subscribe if you don't mind. We're doing a giveaway. We're giving away a free PSE bow. We're shooting for 100,000 subscriptions. I think we're at like 54,000 or 55,000, but when we started, we were in the upper 30s maybe. So it's it's awesome to see everybody kind of engage into the campaign, but we have a ton of of content, some really good stuff. Uh, At the beginning of the year, I said, you know, follow along. We're going to have a ton of stuff we're doing that we've never done before. And I feel like we, I feel like we delivered on our promise and hopefully 18 is even better. So make sure and check us out on YouTube. And uh, as always, you can follow along everything we're doing over at our social channels at Jury Outdoors. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening and watching more than anything. And I hope everybody has a safe and merry uh, Christmas and happy new years. I will just echo everything you just said, Matt. Thank you, everyone. Have a great holiday. Peace.